Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Right on. Okay, we are uh, starting a new series today. Uh, just three parts to this series. It's called uh, Trellis. And uh, weirdly, today is it's, it's really a prequel. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really more setup than anything else. I'm not... I'm not even going to explain what a trellis is today or what we mean by that. Today's actually the origin story. This is today's why I'm convinced that this trellis thing you're going to be hearing a lot about moving forward um, is such a big deal. Uh, the last few years in our church, we've been around, you, you maybe have felt this. Um, we've made some big moves in the life of our church to sort of define who we are as a congregation, as a body, what we're about, what we're focusing on, what our heart, our center is. Uh, A number of years ago, uh, we had our mission statement, which is joining God in the renewal of all things. And and just a couple years after that, our vision statement, which is walk with Jesus, love your neighbor. Um, These are really important ideas that shape who we are. This is why we're shoving those phrases down your throat all the time. It's why it's on big, bold letters everywhere you look in this building, because those are so important. Those are really important pieces. Um, this idea of a trellis, it's, it's kind of the next big thing. It is. It's sort of the, it's sort of the next thing along that. Um, this is a, a discipleship pathway, and that might be new language for you. And, and again, we're not even explaining what that is this week. We'll get there in the future. But for those who say, man, I'm in. I love Jesus. I am, I'm a child of God. I want to walk with him. I want to love my neighbor. I want to do it and everything. I want to move my life in this direction. Um, then Trellis will define a, a pathway that we can go down uh, for that very, uh, or toward that very end. So that's what we're shooting at. We're going to read now uh, Matthew chapter 28. Uh, this is the Great Commission. If you're a church kid, this will sound really familiar to you. Um, the setup here is a really big moment. This is right before Jesus returned uh, to heaven to be with the Father. And he gave basically basic instructions for the church. All right, these are his parting words. He's like, okay, this is church 101. Here's what I would like for you to do, all right? So really important words. Jesus said this. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I've said this before, um, I think there is a significant crisis of discipleship in the church, the church at large. Um, Again, these are basic instructions, and the command of Jesus, we just read it, clear as a bell, was to go and make disciples. And then he explained what he meant by that, verse 20, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. But, it's my observation, take it or leave it, that's not typically what has happened um, the church, and I mean capital C Church, the church at large, um, has mostly focused, and this would be especially in the last 50 to 80 years, and especially here in the United States, 
um, the church is mostly focused in on a single moment of conversion, a moment when people are, are saved. Um, and then out of that, there's been this like sort of this weird second tier that has emerged. So you've got the converts, but then you've got the second tier among the converts who, who really want to be disciples, right? And, and those are the special ones. Those are the ones who are really going to walk with Jesus. And that's sort of what's been at least implied, if not said, all throughout the church, especially here, especially for the last few decades. I just want to be very clear. That's not how Jesus said it at all. Like, not at all. In, in the mind of Christ, he's very clear about this. All converts are disciples, period. All con- converts are disciples. Jesus never gave not once, not even a hint that we could be Christians without being disciples, okay? That's, that's like saying you're human but not a mammal. It's like, well, yeah, you are, or you're not a human. <laughs> like, you can't separate these two things. If you're a human, you're a mammal. You might go, well, my spouse is pretty cold-blooded. Still a mammal. Still a mammal, okay? Or they're not human. Can't be separated. And according, according to Jesus, Christians are disciples. They're just the same. There's no delineation. There's no separation. There's no second tier. So what we need to see is that the way the church in general has been talking about salvation doesn't sound very much at all like the way Jesus talked about it. And I would submit to you that that's like a really big deal. Jesus never tried to make a convert. He, he never said, have you been saved? Or am I in your heart? Or did you raise a hand? Or did you walk an aisle? And by the way, none of those things are bad. Those things are all good. None of them are bad. But what we need to see is that when Jesus called people to faith, the invitation was to drop everything and go his way in everything and live in obedience to him in everything forever. John Mark Homer said this. He's an author I really appreciate. The gospel has been preached in such a way that you could become a Christian without becoming a disciple of Jesus. Now, of course, there are many, many, many wonderful, beautiful exceptions to that. But as a general statement, like that's, that's just true. That's just a true statement. And so what's happened is, stay with me here, but salvation has become about the acceptance of a handful of doctrinal beliefs. So you'd be approached and say, okay, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, I do. Okay, do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Yes, I do. Do you believe that he rose from the grave so that you might have eternal life? Yes, I do. Then it's like, cool, done, done. You're in. Transaction complete. Because we believe and receive. We believe and receive. But all of that is, if you take a minute to look at it, it's just a mental ascent to a set of doctrinal statements. It means you have faith in some ideas, but that doesn't mean you've surrendered to a king. Um, St. Maximus, this goes all the way back to the 7th century, he said this, and it's just so clear and true. A person who is simply a man of faith is not a disciple. You can be a person of faith that does not necessarily make you a disciple. And that's why, that's why we need a trellis, all right? And that's where we're headed. A trellis, a pathway for discipleship. I said a couple of weeks ago that I'm from here. I'm like really, really from here. And actually, um, I was raised in a little neighborhood uh, just off of Morganton Road, which probably just about all of you know exactly where that is. And um, 
I, of course, lots of friends in the neighborhood, and we would we'd go play and hang out. When I was, especially when I was really little, we would go to the creek, and then the, the field next to uh, in the neighbor's field, there was a creek that ran through it. It was mostly just like a muddy trickle of water. It was mostly just mud. Uh, but we loved it. I, we loved, loved that we could go play in the creek. Now, this might be hard for you to imagine on a day like today, but it does get hot here in the summer. It was really hot, and having a creek that we could go. So we would go there all the time, play in the creek, make a mess. So, so much so um, that, and this is embarrassing to admit, uh, but growing up, I had, I had two underwear drawers. I had my regular underwear drawer, drawer with the tidy whities of course. Um, and then I had my creek underwear drawer with all the underwear that had been in the creek at some point along the way. And so I'd be with my friends. I'd be like, Mom, we're going out to the creek. And then my mom would shout from upstairs, Are you wearing your creek underwear? And I'd be like, Mom, my friends are here. My friends, Why? And I would usually lie and say, oh, yeah, I'm wearing my creek underwear, which wasn't true, which is how you end up with a whole drawer of just creek underwear because you keep doing it. So, anyway, we go play in the creek. It would be a huge mess. And then I would, I would come, come in, and I was not welcome into the home in that state. And so this won't surprise you. It's East Tennessee. My mom would grab the water hose, and she'd hit me with it pretty good. That's how, that's how I gained entrance back to where I lived. That you can't go in without that. So she'd hit me with the hose. And my mom's a very kind woman, which means she would take the spray nozzle off before she did, which made it a relatively pleasant experience. Now, if I complained too much, she wouldn't hesitate to put her thumb at the end of the hose and get my attention along the way. But she'd take the spray nozzle off because she's kind. Now, if she put the spray nozzle on, that would be a much more focused stream of water, and that would be a lot less fun for me, right? Maybe, maybe even painful, right? And then, let's say, in an extreme, I, I showed up one day, and Mom, not only did she have the, the spray nozzle on, she'd actually replaced the nozzle with a pressure washer, like this massive, this didn't happen, it's hypothetical. But if that happened, you show up, and, and there's Mom with this big... <laughs> Big wand ready to hit you with the pressure washer. Guys, that's dangerous. That would be child abuse, I think, quite clearly. I don't know if you're aware of this, if you've ever done any pressure washing, but that stuff will cut right into your skin if you're not careful. Um, That focused, concentrated, pressured water is actually really, really powerful. Um, Not too long ago, it was a few years ago, I was doing some pressure washing and I I went inside for like just a minute and left the pressure, left it running. And uh, there was this neighborhood kid who sort of wandered over to it, and he was just sort of looking around, and I didn't care. It was fine. Um, but then I looked out, and I noticed that this kid had, now the pressure washer's on, was, had the wand and was like investigating, and he was looking in the end of the wand. And I ran, I was like, no, 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 don't do that. That thing will blow your face off. Like, you'll lose an eye and half your brain behind it because of the amount of thrust that you can get from a pressure washer. Here's a point that I'm making. Oh, uh, uh, there's a, a gentle vapor, a nice gentle mist. That's one way to experience water, okay? But take that very same substance, focus it, direct it intentionally, and that gentle mist becomes something that can slice through rocks, that can cut through metal if you put enough focus on it. The expression, by the way, weak as water, that makes no sense to me. Water's indestructible. Guys, the Colorado doesn't run through the Grand Canyon. The Colorado River created the Grand Canyon. 
a consistent, focused path literally changed the shape of the earth. A trellis, as we're going to discuss in the coming weeks, is a discipleship pathway that will shift us from sort of a vague sense of religiosity, a vague sense of churchianity, right? We're like, yeah, I love Jesus, grateful for the cross, go to church when I can go to church. I, 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 I pray kind of here and there along the way in this sort of gentle mist of spirituality. And then focusing that, directing that, in a way that it can actually carve and reshape who you are, like fundamentally. Um, I'm going to share with you now a very, a very sad uh, statistic, which I feel bad. I feel like I do that too often with you guys. I feel like it should be like a segment at our church. Here's this week's horribly depressing statistic brought to you yet again by Aaron. He's such a bummer, but this one's really important, so here we go again. Um, this is new research. This is from 2023, um, and this was done by the Barna Group and Pew Research, which are two really respected groups that do research. A um, couple of things. One, uh, they asked Americans, are you a Christian? 63% of Americans said, yes, I'm a Christian. That's a solid majority. It's almost two-thirds. Go back not too long ago before that number was more like 80%, more like four out of five, but but still, like, that's quite a lot. Like I said, it's almost two out of every three. We say, yes, I'm a Christian. But then Barna Group asked more specific questions. And Barna was asking specific questions based around what they, the term that they use for this is resilient discipleship. And so instead of just saying, are you a Christian, yes or no, they would ask questions beyond that about whether or not they mat match that criteria for, again, resilient discipleship. And that's things like faithful church attendance, having a consistent a devotional life where you're walking with Jesus, a confidence in the authority of Scripture, and, and what they describe as a biblical worldview. And you ask those questions, that 63% number goes way down. Anybody know what the number went to? You sitting down? That's a, you can see the are. Four. Four percent. Four percent of Americans... So if asked, a majority of Americans would go, yeah, man, I'm a Christian. Almost two out of three. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But if they're asked about like truly walking with Jesus as an apprentice of Jesus, whose lives are shaped by the values of Jesus as genuine disciples of the king for all but 4%, the answer is, wait, what? What? Because what we have said is, just believe and receive. Just believe and receive. And guys, that's not it. That's, Jesus said, repent and follow me. Those are very different directions than believe and receive. We've said, believe and receive. Jesus said, repent and follow me. And as a result, there's been a lot, this is tough, but there's been a lot of false conversions. A lot of people say, yeah, I'm on board, but they actually have no life with Jesus. 
That's actually how we know, we, we knew today we could only do one service because only the true believers would show up for church on a Sunday. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't mean that at all. If you're watching online, I don't, not even 1% do I mean that. I don't. I could actually flip it and say the same thing to you. Like, what are you doing here? Are you insane? It's like a degree outside. I can't believe you're here. So I could, it could go both ways. Uh, no, I'm I just trying to bring some levity to it, like a, like a pretty heavy subject. Um, I think leading people to believe that they're saved when they're not, and I'm not trying to be dramatic about this, but I, th- I think it might be the single cruelest thing you can do to a person. And lots of, I mean, really genuine, sincere, Jesus-loving, well-intended people have done exactly that. Um, there's a, a common question. It's a really good question that people ask. They'll say, well, what about the people who go their whole lives and they never even hear the name of Jesus? What happens to them? What about them? I think that's a great, that's a great question from someone who cares, who's been thoughtful about it. Um, my answer to that question, sorry, is I don't know. I don't know. Um, our, our answers come from Scripture. I don't see how Scripture uh, actually answers that question. Um, my response to it is, one, we really, really ought to share our faith with others. And, and secondly, my response is, I, I do not know, and I don't want to imply that I do know, um, but I have an incredible amount of confidence in the kindness and the mercy of God. Like the demonstration we have of God is one of incredible compassion. So I find myself heartened by that, although my answer is still, I don't know. But that's a common question. What about the people who never even hear the name of Jesus? It's a great question. Here's another question. What about the people who hear lots about Jesus, but are never once told a thing about biblical discipleship? How will they know? How will they know? That can happen in the Bible Belt. That might especially happen in the Bible Belt. And that misperception of Jesus' teaching has led to this, I think, again, another really devastating outcome, which is that lots and lots of people sign on for life with Jesus. They sign on for the whole Jesus thing, but then they never actually experience the joy of being a disciple. Guys, genuine discipleship to Christ is the absolute best thing this world has to offer. It's the best. Nominal faith is the worst. It's just the worst. You just feel lied to all the time. It's the worst. Um, Like I've said, you know, people often get saved because of the whole heaven is better than hell thing, and that's certainly true. But they also do it um, because they're told that salvation comes with all of these amazing promises. It's like, find life with Jesus, you get eternal life, and then you also get like this incredible stack of life upgrades. It's amazing. You get abundant life. You get life to the fullest. You get a peace that passes all understanding. Just raise a hand, just walk an aisle. You get unspeakable joy. You get deep, soul-satisfying rest. You get the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. You get comfort in your struggles. You get strength for your challenges. You get genuine friendship with God, and all of that happens somehow with a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. So come on down. Listen, and, and the way that's presented is, hey, all those things, those are just like bonuses. Those are like additions to the whole eternal life thing. And it just sort of comes with a package, like preloaded software. 
But here's the trouble with that, and please don't miss it. All those wonderful things that I just said, hear me, they're all real. They're very real. They're absolutely true. They're pulled directly from Scripture. None of them are lies. Not only are they real, they're all better than you have ever been told. But they all come downriver. They all come as a byproduct of truly walking with Jesus as a disciple. They, just, they don't come from a single salvation moment. They come from a lifestyle of apprenticeship to Jesus. And like nominal faith or just like Jesus on the fringe or Christianity as a hobby or whatever, it doesn't deliver on any of those things at all. And after a while, people start looking around and frustrated, and they're wondering, well, when's all this abundant life stuff kick in? When's the peace that passes all understanding coming? Because I ain't getting it, man. And then people get frustrated, and they, and they shake their fist at God and say, Jesus didn't tell me about this. But he did. The whole, the whole two-tiered thing where people walk an aisle, but they don't then um, walk with Jesus? That was our creation, not his. Okay, so there's the big, gigantic, super discouraging problem. <laughs> 63% of Americans claim to be Christians. Apparently only 4% of them really know what that's supposed to be about. So what are you supposed to do about that? I have some thoughts, as you might imagine. Um, <clears throat> first, and I mean this with all sincerity. Um, I'm hoping and asking that you will help me repent on behalf of the church at large. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm, I'm being sincere. To repent on behalf of the church at large and to whatever extent our church and, and your leadership are responsible for this, to whatever degree, I don't know, I hope not a lot, but not zero, can we repent on behalf of the church at large for a failure to invite people into anything less than full discipleship and apprenticeship to Jesus? I want to ask you to do that, and I know that doesn't sound fun. And uh, actually, I've been doing that for a while now, and I can confirm your suspicion. It is not fun at all. It's gut-wrenching and awful, to be honest with you. And nevertheless, the, the church needs to repent, I think, simply of just changing God's instructions from repent and follow me to just believe and receive. We change the instructions. And, and then we need to drop this idea of making converts and then embrace once again what Jesus actually asked us to do, which is to go and make disciples. That's a different commission. And I don't, to be honest, like I, don't, I don't know exactly how like corporate repentance works. Like I don't, what's the cosmic math on that where individuals repent on behalf of groups or wholes who repre repent for the, the sins of groups or nations or enterprises or empires. I don't, I don't know exactly how all that works, but I know this. It's absolutely a biblical idea. I didn't make it up. Like all through scripture, we see people repenting on behalf of the nation of the people of. 
So I'd like to ask you to do that. And then secondly, <laughs> I want us to really think about what we mean when we say the word disciple. We, we have done a funny thing with that word. Um, the Greek word for disciple is, is mathetes. It uh, shows up in the New Testament 269 times. That's a lot. That's a whole lot of times. Here's the thing. Don't miss this. Never once, O for 269, never once is that word used as a verb. Because it's not a, it's not a verb. It's a noun. Okay? Like it's not, it's not a verb. It's a noun. But we use it a lot as a verb. Have you noticed that? Like, who's discipling you? That's a verb. Will you disciple me? Or no one ever really discipled me, right? As a verb. Um, Chris Carpenter is our, our discipleship pastor. Um, that does not mean that it's his job to disciple you, because that would mean that you became a disciple of Chris. That's what that would mean. And guys, I, I like Chris a lot. A lot. If, if your name's not Gene or Hannah, I'm betting I like him at least as much, if not more, than you do. I like him a lot, and hiring Chris was one of the best decisions we've ever made around here. But I'm a disciple of Christ, not, not Chris. But that, that one letter makes a big, like a really big difference, right? Jesus is the rabbi. We're his disciples and no one else's. Disciple is something that you become. It's not something that you do. It's certainly not something that's done to you. And this is a really important distinction because um, if we think we're supposed to get discipled rather than become a disciple, then we might do what, what frankly, lots of other folks have done and start blaming other people for our lack of spiritual growth. I'm not trying to be mean. <laughs> John Mark Comer, let me quote him one last time. He said, if disciple is something that is done to you, a verb, then that puts the onus of responsibility for your spiritual formation on someone else, like your pastor, church, or mentor. But if disciple is a noun, if it's someone you are or are not, then no one can disciple you but Rabbi Jesus himself. Y'all tracking with me on this? So what doesn't work is, hey, I'm not really a disciple because no one discipled me. Or my pastor's sermons just didn't put enough meat on the bone, you know, wasn't getting fed. Or, or the discipleship pastor's schedule was full and we didn't work it out, you know. Let me put it this way. Like, when you see the Lord... You'll give an account for you, not an account for me. Now, I'm still accountable, actually, as a pastor. Um, I, will actually, I will give an account for you, which absolutely terrifies me, by the way. Um, everybody, please, do better. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Y'all are great. You're, you're great. So I, I'm not trying to skirt that. There is corporate responsibility I will give an account. The leaders of our church will give an account. The church is responsible for sure. 
That's why, actually, I asked you to join me in repenting on behalf of the church at large, because that's real. But nevertheless, for each of us, the choice to either live or not live as a disciple of Jesus is entirely our own. So I want to lovingly plead with you to make that choice. And then, you know, next week we'll start talking about a pathway for that, which we're going to call trellis. Let me invite you guys to stand for prayer as we move to wrap up. We're going to sing a little bit more together. We're just going to take some time here to pray and I may, I may lead us at parts, and we might have moments of stillness as well. Holy Spirit, please come. Would you make us aware of your presence? Would you help us to, to sort of dial in, to clue in to your presence, the reality of what you're doing in the room? Holy Spirit, come. Let your kingdom come in this room. I want to ask you in, in your own spirits to join me in, in this prayer. Um, and uh, I also want to ask you that this not be the only time you pray this prayer. But if you join me now, and I, I think if we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, I, I think he'll lead us to continue this prayer. To whatever extent, I don't know. I actually don't know. But, but King Jesus, we repent on behalf of your church, of which we are a part. We repent for any failure, any shortcoming in preaching the whole gospel. Any confusion that we may have authored. Lord, in almost every case, I really do believe the intentions for doing that were so good. We just want everyone to come. We want the doors to be wide open. We want everyone to know you and to have life with you. And we're desperate for that. But the desire to throw the doors wide open, perhaps, Lord, I think has, has led us to say less than the truth. People certainly must believe and receive, for sure. but in challenging people to believe and receive, we've often forgot what you said directly, which is repent and follow me. You've asked us to make disciples, not converts, but disciples. You told us how to do that by teaching you, teaching them to obey everything that you've commanded. And the cost for that, I think, is great. As confusion about what life with Jesus really is, is so common. Discipleship. The beauty of being an apprentice of, of Jesus is rare. And we repent, Lord. To whatever extent our church or the people in this room, our leadership, me, 
whatever extent we may be guilty of the same, God, we repent. In trying to make the gospel accessible, we took away so much of what made it beautiful and life-changing and transforming. We repent. Lord, I want to pray now on behalf of anyone in the room who, (laughs) through no fault of their own, because this is in so many cases the message has been broadcast who have come to believe um, a gospel that's no more than believe and receive if there's anyone in the room who would say you know what actually I'm not sure I've done the repent which means to turn away it means to change your mind it means to go a different path altogether I'm not sure I've done the repent and follow Jesus thing Lord, I ask that they would feel your welcome, your forgiveness, your embrace if they simply turn and run to you. You are so eager to walk with us day in and day out. You're eager. You long for it more than we could ever long for it. You long for it. You died to make it possible. And so the door is open. That's not the easy believism part. That's not the watered down part. All we have to do is turn to you in repentance. And then you'll be delighted to take us by the hand and walk with us all of our days. You're inviting us into a pathway of discipleship to truly know and walk with you. And Lord, for anyone in the room, again, who said, you know what, I... I've done the believe and receive thing. I'm not sure I've done the repent and follow me thing. I pray that they would turn to you and find you now. We're so grateful that your arms are open to us all. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.